0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this section of scripture and that you will teach us what you would have us to do through your spirit. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're gonna start at verse 36, but just to kind of lay the foundation of where we've been. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about Saul's first major uh, battle as king. And remember that he didn't have a battle and the people started uh, dissolving away from him. Uh, We had Jonathan that goes with his armor bearer and goes up to a garrison and defeats the garrison and the people of the Philistines start killing each other. Saul looks on there and says what's going on and they decide to start attacking, attacking the Philistines who are fighting each other and Saul had made a rash vow saying to the people, no one will eat until the battle has been completely won. In the process, Jonathan dips his, the tip of his spear into the, the honey, eats the honey, says this is a really great thing, we would have won. The people start chasing the Philistines all around and all the people who were hiding and, and running away from Saul decided because the, the tide had turned that they were going to join him. All right, so that catches us up to where we are coming into verse 36. All right, verse 36. And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good unto you. Then said the priest, Let us draw near hither unto God. And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him not that day. And Saul said, draw near hither all the chief of the people and know and see wherein this sin hath been, been this day. For as the Lord lives, which saves, saves Israel, there would be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not among a man among all the people that answered him. All right, so we're going to look at this. Uh, Saul is getting ready to complete this work. They've been fighting all day. The people have not eaten all day because of the vow he made them give that they would not eat until they had accomplished. And remember, they went and they consumed the the meat with the blood in it. They didn't offer it correctly. And that caused sin, so he had to offer sacrifices. And so now he's saying, "Okay, now we can go finish this. (laughs) And he's all set to go. And, And the priest here, decide to give him good counsel and say, you know, we better ask God. And again, remember, we keep seeing that Paul, Saul is not very good about doing what he needs to be doing unless it's kind of a showy, showy thing. Remember, he didn't ask God about going into battle with these people. He didn't ask God about any of this. And until now, he's asking, he's getting the advice from the priest. You know, let's, let's, let's ask God. Now, when we get to David, we see David asking God a lot. And probably not every single time, but every, it keeps mentioning that he goes to God and says, Shall we go? Shall we go? Uh, Moses did the same thing. Joshua did the same thing. And we see Saul, not so. <laughs> All right? But now that he's been told by the priest we should talk to God, he says, Well, this isn't a bad idea. We'll go, we'll, we'll, we'll make a show. We'll talk to God and see what God says. Because, you know, he's pretty sure God's going to say, Go complete. <laughs> Don't complete the enemy. So they asked the council, and this would be used in the thumen and the, and the uh, umen, uh, which is the, the stones that the priest kept inside the prayers plate that gave them the answers, yes or no, to God. And we don't know really much how they did it. We don't know there was some kind of die-type thing that you threw. Uh, some people believe that they cast lights and would, sh- would shine a light on a, some kind of board or something that said... <laughs> give you answers. You know, there's all kinds of different things of what they do. Uh, but it, he asked God for an answer. The priests get ready to give the answer, and God doesn't answer. So whatever it is that these use to give an answer, God didn't give them an answer. Uh, so Saul is a little disconcerted by this. Uh, God's not answering him. Remember, he is God's man. God put him in place. He's probably concerned that the sin that eating the, the meat without the, that hasn't been drained of the blood was a big, bigger deal than what it was. And so he decides to say that, okay, everybody draw near. We're going to draw lots and find out whose fault this is. And he brashly says in verse 39, as the Lord lives which saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, the man that does this shall die. Now, I have a feeling when he said, though it being Jonathan, he did, never expected it to be Jonathan. Okay? But he's being serious. He's just being, he's being blustery. You know, he's feeling his son's been obedient this time. He figures his son has not been disobedient. And he goes, you know, hey, you know, guys, no matter what, even if it's my own son, this, this person will die. A little bit of bluster, a little bit of, you know, concern. Uh, And then it said in verse 40, well, verse 39, the very end, none of the people answered him. This kind of strikes me as kind of odd. They didn't answer him, yes, do it or don't do it. And before they answered him, you know, do all that's in your heart. But now that there's somebody that's sinned in the camp, nobody's answering him because I think somebody might understand that this is Jonathan that might be the cause of this because there were people that told Jonathan when he stuck the spear in, his, in the honey that your father strictly forbade us and said, cursed is any man that does this. So there's some people out there that know that Jonathan might be the guilty one in this. They're probably not absolutely sure, but they know that something is wrong and the people's confidence is starting to fade. Right? They didn't complete the battle because they didn't have the strength. They've been chided for eating the meat with the blood in it. They've been offered a sacrifice, and now God's not answering them. And the one thing about this is if you are absolutely sure that something is supposed to be done right and, and the, you don't get support from higher up, it's a big deal. And this is where we can be with God. If we really think we're supposed to be doing something for God and we ask God, Should I do it? And He is silent. It's kind of nerve-wracking because you, you go, God, I know this is good. I know you want me to do this. And there's no answer. And you pray and you pray and you pray and no answer. And this the priest should be getting no pr- answers. That, that, that's their job. <laughs> you come to the priest, you ask him the question, and he gives you God's answer. And here they're finding God being silent. And nothing is worse than, than having that silence when you want to do something and make sure that it's right. And this is where they're at. The people aren't answering him. They're kind of nervous of all of this too because the priests aren't getting an answer. Some of them probably believe that Jonathan may be the guilty party and they don't want to see Jonathan killed because he's the whole reason for the victory in the first place. And remember, most of the people had been hiding in the caves before this event. So there's a lot of negativity going on. And Saul... Does not have the confidence of the people at this point. You can see this right now. They're not. They're not going by. Okay, Saul, whatever you think, God's not answering. But whatever you think, we'll, we'll, we'll go do. Verse 40. Then he said unto Israel, Be you on one side, and Jonathan, and I, and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast the lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. And lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more so, for you shall surely die Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid as the Lord lives there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground for he has wrought with God this day so the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. Then Saul went from following the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. Alright, so here we have very interesting statements. They, they cast the lots. Okay, and that's basically a die or a drawing, drawing a name from a hat. Uh, and Saul and Jonathan are taken, and at this point Saul's probably a little concerned, you know, am I in trouble because of what the people did with the, with the animals, okay? Because uh, he's a little nervous there. He'd already offered sacrifices and all of that. And the other thing is, you know, what if it's Jonathan? Somebody's going to die. He made, that, he made that pledge, and if it's him, he's going to have to die, and if it's Jonathan, he's going to have to die if he's going to fulfill his pledge. And so he's in a binding place. And this is the problem with any pledge of vow before God. God is very serious. If you make a vow before God, you keep it, whatever that might be. And he expects it to be kept even if it's going to cause pain. You know, God, if if this happens, I'm going to do something. And then you're all happy with it. It's a great idea until somebody comes up with something better for you to do, Okay. And uh, one of the examples I use is somebody that has made a promise to do something and then they get tickets to their f- favorite championship sporting event, whatever that might be. Okay, give them to them free. And it's like, oh no, I've got two, I've got the promise that I made to this person where I can go see my f- the championship for my favorite and my team's even playing. Okay, so everything is set up saying don't keep my promise but go do something else and that's, What God says, even if you have that situation, you're to keep your word before God. And sometimes that's a very difficult thing. But God says that even if we don't make promises to him, if we make vows, period, he expects them to be fulfilled according to the scripture, which is very serious about making any kind of promise or making a vow. You make sure that you keep it because God keeps, makes sure that he desires it to be kept. And so... Saul and Jonathan are now there, and they do the casting of the lots again. And Saul is Saul, uh, Samuel. Uh, yeah, Jonathan is picked out. And Saul immediately goes, tell me what you have done. OK, Jonathan, you're, you're, you're the one that did this. What did you do? And this is the integrity of Jonathan. Jonathan said, hey, all he did was taste a little bit of honey. I didn't know what you had said. but..." Yeah, I tasted a little bit of honey. I broke a law I didn't know anything about. Now I deserve to die. Yeah, he, didn't know about it. he did not know, it. He did not know about it. But this is the interesting point that I want to bring out here. There is an adage even in our legal system that ignorance of the law is no excuse for violating the law. Jonathan accepts that. He did not know what his father said, but he says, I broke the law. I brought the curse upon the people and upon myself and I deserve to die. And this is something that even if we disobey God in a way that we didn't even know we were disobeying him, there is a consequence for that disobedience. And now it's probably not as, it won't be as severe as if I blatantly, purposely disobeyed it and knew that I was disobeying him. I believe that God's mercy would come in and say, okay, uh, you did wrong. You, you were wrong. There will be a consequence. All right. It wouldn't be life or death like, it was, like Jonathan's thinking of. but Because God understands, okay, you didn't know better and you didn't do it with lack of integrity and, and with the purpose of disobeying. Now, when you purposely disobey, God says, okay, you, you get, you're going to be punished for what you did plus the disobedience. But Jonathan is ready at this point. His integrity was, I did this. I found out afterwards that I I was wrong, and I did it. And because I did it, I deserve to die. Matter of fact, you just said, whoever did this deserves to die. So now he's doubly condemned. He's cursed because he ate the honey that he didn't know that he wasn't supposed to eat. And now he's cursed because his father said that whoever the lot falls on as the reason for this will be executed. So Jonathan is fully expecting to be punished. This tells you what a good prince he is. He has nobility and character all the way through. Everything he does is dependent upon God and has nobility involved. And he's ready to pay. Even though he didn't know what he was doing, he's ready to pay the price. And Saul, you know, he says, God do so more do so and more also it for you shall surely die jonathan saul has a whole bunch of anger problems and we're going to see this his entire life he has anger issues and right here he's got he had the anger issue when the people committed the sin of just falling upon the uh, animals and he got angry with them and he commanded all these things here he's angry Numbers of things. I think number one, he's angry with himself for making such a rash vow, okay? But now he's got to complete it. You know, he's king. He's got, he above all else has to obey his rules. Now, and he's also angry with Jonathan for bringing shame upon the family, okay? Here here we've got great victory. Great victory. Jonathan even caused the great victory. And now he's got to kill him because he made his father look bad. There's pride and anger that's very strong in in Saul. And, you know, Saul is raised up as a, you know, with the right attitude, he starts raised up. He goes, hey, who am I? I'm the least, you know, we're from the least tribe, from the least of the tribe, you know, least family in the tribe. I don't deserve to be promoted. And And then his pride starts to kick in now that he's been promoted. And he's already struggled, remember, when the armies were starting to leave and he offered a sacrifice and Samuel criticized him because he offered the sacrifice. And then the people just started melting away. So he keeps getting in trouble every time with Samuel every time he turns around. He gets in trouble with God frequently. Now he's got his son doing something that brings perceived shame to him. And pride is something that can be the worst thing for any of us. When all we're worried about is keeping our appearance up, and this is why I said Saul all, all through these has been trying to keep appearance. See how godly I am? I offered I'm, we're offering sacr. I offered the sacrifice because Samuel didn't show up. Oh, you know how we off? You know, godly. I'm going to demand now. I've got in trouble for for offering. So this time I'm going to have the priest do the do it. But we're gonna we're gonna follow God. You know. Oh, you know. Oh, God's not answering. Let's go find out who it is. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be exalted and look good at it. Any time we're sitting back trying to make ourselves look good, we've got problems. Because at that point, any little thing that makes us look bad is going to irritate us and anger us. And this is where Saul's at. Saul is irritated. You know, he's probably ready to just, you know, he, he, whereas he might have been willing to forgive Jonathan right now, Jonathan has made him look bad. He's disobeyed him. You know, he's he's destroyed the victory over the Philistines that he started. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. I mean, when you have your pride issue, you really don't care who's at fault or what the reason is that they're at fault. You're going to do whatever it takes to make yourself look good. And that's one of the problems with pride. Okay. Uh, You know, a lot of times this happens in families in general. You know, when somebody in the family makes the family look bad, whatever that is that they did, whether it's becoming an alcoholic or a, or a drug user or committing a crime or something that makes the family look bad, if there's pride in the family, can overwhelm that and, and reject that individual. And God's agape love gets thrown out the window and says, yep, they're nothing but bad. They brought bad name. You know, you're, you're no longer part of the family. And... We need to be very careful of that. That can happen even in churches where somebody does something that draws attention away from, uh, to themselves in a bad way and away from God and or, you know makes God's name look bad, and then people in the church kind of totally ostracize them. Now, is there a time for ostr- ostracizing? Yes, if they've gone to them and they haven't repented and, and they haven't uh, corrected their lifestyle as... Paul told the Corinthians, you got this man who's, who's sleeping with his mother, and you're saying it's okay, and he's saying it's okay, and God says it's not okay. If he's not ready to repent, you go to him, see if he's ready to repent. If he won't repent, you kick him out of the church. There is a time for that kind of activity, but you first find out, are they going to be repentant? Are they going to seek God? Or are they going to see that they've done wrong and say, God, I am sorry? And then once God's forgiven them, then we need to forgive them. Jonathan hasn't even been given this opportunity, okay? Uh, He didn't know about it, and again, even though you repent, there's still consequences for it, but he wasn't given a chance to even repent and say, hey, you know, Dad, I'm really sorry. I didn't know about this. I'm willing to take some punishment. Does it have to be death? But that is the punishment that Saul had initially common. He said that you're cursed as anybody that, you know, cursed and you'll bring a curse upon Israel, So at this point, he's trying to get rid of the curse. And, you know, it's amazing to watch what the people do. You know, uh, the people in verse 45 say, And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has wrought this great salvation on Israel? God forbid. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall on the ground, for he is wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. All right, now this is kind of an interesting problem. The people are coming against their king, which is not correct, (laughs) okay? You're supposed to honor your authority. Now this authority is not really doing what he's supposed to do, but they're not honoring the authority of the kingship. And why are they doing it? Well, because they have mercy on Jonathan. Before Jonathan went to this, starting this battle, Israel was in complete defeat. Remember that at the time that Jonathan went to battle, they've got about 600 men. They keep losing the army, and they're down to about 600 men. The people are aware of this. Without Jonathan's faith in God to go forward, there would not have been a victory. And I don't know quite how they know all about what Jonathan's done at this point. He's told somebody, the armor bearer's told somebody, and once the story's out, it spreads quickly. Well, when Saul asked, who, who in the camp is not here? Right. Yeah. But they didn't know what he was doing. Oh. Okay, they just know he wasn't there. All right? Uh, somewhere along the lines, what he has done is going to get out. I, I have a feeling it was probably his armor bearer. You should have seen, you know, talking to the other army. You should have seen what happened. We climbed up this mountain and and everybody that came near Jonathan, he 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 was able to disable and knock down, and I was able to, you know, stab him on, on the way up the mountain, and everybody died, and then the Philistines started attacking themselves. And you know that these things get out, and they get out fast. All right. Good and bad can get out fast, especially bad, but good can also get out fast. And it's always been said that news has always traveled fast. Even before the age of, of the internet and telephones and, and, and stuff, you, something would happen and the news would usually get there before the royal post runner g- would get there. The news was already in the next town as to what had happened. Now whether it was right or not was another story, but the news traveled very quickly. And so we have this story about Jonathan being traveling very quickly. The army knows it. And because this is a pretty big deal. You know Jonathan climbing up that mountain, you know killing all killing them all, and then all of a sudden they start killing each other. This is a big deal. and the one thing they know is that it is God that did it. okay? Because Jonathan climbing up the mountain might have been able to take the garrison. you know that would be one thing. you know, the garrisons, you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty people. But to have the army fighting amongst itself, that's not the normal reaction to having one man climb a hill and, and beat a garrison. That's fear that's supernatural. Because their, their their look at the natural would have been, oh, we're gonna, you know, just send the whole army over and get that upstart. You know, might be able to take out a garrison, but you know, even one company of the army is not, you know, he can't take out. And so we see They understand this is a God thing. And that's what they say. Jonathan shall not die. All right, The people are ready to go against their king to protect the crown prince for who caused the victory. (laughs) And probably figure, you know, Saul, if you want to make a big deal, we'll just kill you. We won't put Jonathan in your place. Which isn't going to make Saul feel too good. And he being his proud self recognizes what's going on. Okay, the people, you can see the people are, this isn't gonna happen Saul, you aren't going to win this and he sees the writing on the wall. Uh, you know, if I do this, then I may just lose my life. You know, they, they, he probably does not expect them to put into prison. You know, If he tries to kill his son, Saul, uh, Jonathan, he's taking his own life in his hands at this point. Uh, and it says, you know, you shall not kill Jonathan. He is the reason for this victory. <laughs> because they're remembering how bad things were before Jonathan did this. Everybody's hiding in caves and rocks. People are going over the river. Uh, Saul is left with his 600, his little band of 600 men. With an, an entire multitude of, of Philistines. He was sitting under a tree, probably quaking in his boots, trying to figure out what to do. And Jonathan goes and starts a battle with just two people. Saul at least had 600. He could have gone start the battle with 600 if he had just had enough faith. And this is one of the things, when God asks us to do something, we need to step out in faith and do whatever it is he's asking us, even when it looks totally insane to do so. God, I just don't know what you're trying to do. I don't, I can't see how this would ever come about. Uh, you know, I read George Mueller. One of his first prayers that he said after he got saved was his father disowned him and was going, and he couldn't afford to pay for school uh, for seminary anymore. And he prayed, God, I need money. And he just finished that prayer and somebody said, "Okay, we've got a job for you. You know, you speak English and you speak German. We we want you to tutor these English-speaking people in German." And he's going, "Okay, well God, I don't know how one tutoring job was going to do it, but he went in anyway, talked to them, and there were like five or six of them and they all wanted to pay him for tutoring them at an individual rate even though he was going to tutor them as a class. And all of a sudden he had enough money to pay for school. He didn't know what he was going to do before moving forward, so they put him up in a room in their home so that he could be right there to teach and tutor them. All of a sudden, his very first prayer answered and just brought out how God brings out. You know, what do we ask God for sometimes and say, God, I need something and I'm going to walk by faith. He almost didn't go talk to these guys because he's figuring, you know, one one tutoring job is not going to be (laughs) make the money. How many things do we avoid doing because we just don't see how it can happen? God, I expect you want me to do what? no way god i can't I can't afford that I can't do that. I can't you know, and we come have up a whole litany of reasons why we can't, and God says, the just shall walk by faith, not by sight. We so often walk by sight. God, I just don't see how this can happen, so I'm not even going to. <laughs> tried. and here the people are saying Jonathan did what Jonathan did what nobody thought could be happen, and look at the victory that came out of this, and uh, and they said that you know they were going to protect him. They said not not even a hair, okay, you know not even a hair on his head is going to fall. You're not you're not going to punish him in any way. In other words, okay, even if you choose not to take his life, you're not going to beat him. You're not going to do anything to cause him problem because he's the reason Israel had victory. And because you can imagine what would happen if Jonathan had been executed by Saul, he's the reason for the victory, that also would have gotten out to the enemy. And given the enemy, a lot of boldness to come and attack. Uh, Remember in, when Moses and God were talking and God was so angry at the people, God said, I'm going to destroy all the people, Moses, and I'm going to start all over with you. And Moses' answer was a very simple one. You can't do that, God, because your reputation will be destroyed because people will say that you got people, you took your people out of Israel because you could not take them into the promised land, you killed them. Uh, And so... Many times people are more protective of God's <laughs> testimony than he's going to be. And as, when we were going back through that part of the Pentateuch, remember I, I told you, I think God and Moses had a pretty, pretty good game going on. God kept telling Moses, God, these are your people. And, go, and Moses goes, uh uh-uh, they're not my people, they're yours. Uh, and I think they were kind of having, you know, God has a sense of humor. And I believe there was a little bit of a humorous, you know, combatancy there. Moses, you know, every time they're in trouble, they're your, no, God, they're they're definitely your people. Uh, But, you know, we see here, God delivers Jonathan. And he delivers him through the people. And then it says, and so the people rescued Jonathan, and he died not. Now, when we see this statement, though, remember, Saul is a proud person. Okay. He really believes that Jonathan should have died. Jonathan brought shame to the family name. Jonathan should have died and the people rescued him, which makes him look bad again. You're going to see an attitude from Saul coming up so many times against Jonathan through the rest of his days. Saul does not know how to forgive. And even though he can have certain times when he's going to treat Jonathan nicely, there's going to be times. This is a time when he get, throws a spear at Jonathan, because he gets so mad at Jonathan. He throws a spear at Jonathan and says, "You rebellious, you know, dog! You're going to you're taking side with that David, and you're going to you're going to lose the kingdom for us. And he's going to take the kingdom from you." And you know, so he tries to kill his own son. He's worried about the kingdom being taken from his son, and so he tries to kill his son. You know, uh, but that is what the kind of things that anger and embarrassment will make us do. How many times have we done things in anger that we would never have done without being angry, and then wondered, why in the world would I have ever even thought of doing something like that? Because the consequences, if, even if you had been successful, you know, would have been so much worse. And yet we get angry and embarrassed, and we try to do things that make us look good at the moment and then really would hurt us hurt us if we get them accomplished or would have hurt us if we didn't you know if we had managed it you know this is why pride is such a big issue you know we need to have that humility you know why do people get proud it's the flesh the flesh likes to be lifted up and it's always been a problem pride goes before the fall and because you, just like this, you'll do dumb things. You know, when he throws a spear at his son because he's trying to preserve the kingdom for his son, but he's ready to put his son into the, you know, have a spear go through his son and pin him to the wall and kill him. You know, but he did all that just so he could keep the kingdom for his son. You know, and this is the kind of things that happen when we're embarrassed and where anger is running. We do things that are opposite of whatever we were trying to do. Let's show you how peaceful this family is, and we're just going to cause great chaos and a war in the family to show you how peaceful we are. Uh, that's the kind of man Paul uh, all is. And so he's got this embarrassment, and, and Jonathan's going to pay for this as he's not forgiven. And this is the problem with unforgiveness. How many times have you gotten mad at somebody for something small because you're still mad at them for something from the past, that might have been bigger or not, but you know, this little thing was nothing. You know, it was nothing, it was, you know, but you're still mad at them. You've never forgiven them for the past, and all the cumulative things all of a sudden make small things a problem. And this is one of the things with, with an unforgiveness heart. And a sad thing really comes down to is when you're unforgiving, how many times do you go after somebody who doesn't deserve it? I remember when I was a teenager, I was being given a hard time and I was in a really bad mood and my, my, my best friend said something, you know, that he normally could have gotten away with. You know, it was not really nice, but it wasn't, you know, he was my best friend. And we ended up in a fist fight, okay? Not because I was really mad at him, but he became a convenient target for all the anger and bitterness that had been building up. And his little thing was just a little straw on the camel's back that broke it. You know, but how many times do we do something like that? So oftentimes we hurt people that have, don't even know why they're being attacked because they were just, I've been unforgiving, unforgiving, I've been angry, I've been embarrassed, and all of a sudden, you know, the person who I'm supposed to love and be nice to says something just a little off that last little piece that fell on, the, on it and all of a sudden you just tear them apart, you know, verbally, physically, uh, you know, mentally, whatever it might be, Saul is going to be doing this to Jonathan the rest, of, <laughs> the rest of Jonathan's days. And, you know, but again, this whole idea of unforgiveness, this is why we need to forgive people. And when we forgive people, forgiveness is such a wonderful thing. We give up our right to demand punishment for them, all right? If I give up my right to demand punishment for somebody, then I really start to forget, forget about it. As long as I'm trying to punish them, I'm always going to remember, okay, they did this, they did this, 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 this. How, how are they going to be punished? All right? Another way that I, I, that works out is I start telling everybody. Have you ever been mad at somebody you never met because your best friend told you about all the, how bad they were? And then you meet them maybe without knowing who they are and you kind of really like them and they're not anything like the person told you. And then you find out who they, who they are and you kind of, you got these mixed emotions. I, you know, I've hated you, but, but you're really nice. It, it, you know, this is the problem when we start sharing our bitterness toward somebody to other people, it's bad enough if they know them, okay? And they know whether they are or aren't what you're talking about. But I know there are people out there that are, that are angry at other people because of the negative things that other people have said about them. Don't even know them. And it's kind of, well, you know, I've got to tell you about this, you know, you, know, my, you know, my neighbor, you know, Doug did this, you know. And I know you don't know him, but you know, I just got to tell people about how bad he was and, you know, and how, how miserable he's making my life. So now you meet my neighbor, Doug, you know, and, I'll, and you immediately have bad thoughts about him. I don't have a neighbor, Doug, by the way. (laughs) You immediately have bad thoughts of this person. You didn't even know them. They haven't done anything. They haven't said anything. But you automatically have bad thoughts about them. This is the problem that we have when we share negatives about other people. We're, We're poisoning other people's minds. And it is a form of gossip. And gossip does not have to be false to be gossip. Okay? When you're talking about somebody else behind their back, you are gossiping. And whether it's true or not is is irrelevant. Now, if you're praising them, that's probably good gossip. But it's not, you know, if I'm building somebody up and praising them, that's a good thing. But if I'm trying to make you think bad things about this person, you don't want to be listening to that kind of stuff. And and we don't want to be expressing it. And this is why, you know, people say you can't forgive and forget. Well, it's pretty easy to forgive and forget. Quit talking about it. Quit thinking about it. If you quit thinking about it and quit talking about it, you're gonna very quickly forget. I mean, it's just like if you were to be asked, what did you have to eat last, last Wednesday? Okay? Uh, most people aren't gonna, unless it was some special dinner, I mean, there are dinners that you remember, but if it was just a regular, normal dinner, You're going to go, I don't know why I hadn't. Why? Because you haven't talked about it, you haven't thought about it, you haven't dwelt upon it. Is it theoretically in your mind? Yes, we remember everything that's ever happened, but if we don't dwell on something, it's forgotten for all practical purposes. So what we do and we're going to say, I'm going to forgive this person, I don't keep rehearsing in my mind, you know, well, yeah, I'm forgiving him. Yep, yep, I'm forgiving him. Yeah, I'm gonna remember forever what they did, but I, I'm gonna forgive them. You really haven't forgiven them because you're just waiting to make them pay. Waiting to have a cumulative thing to make them pay, waiting to make them pay as you talk to other people about what they did, and nothing else here. What do you, what do you always think about when you're thinking about what they did? You know, someday you're gonna get yours. You, know, even, you, know, you might even be spiritual. Someday God's gonna make you pay do not be me, but God's going to make you pay, you haven't forgiven them. Is God going to make them pay? If it's bad enough, God will make them pay whether I forgive them or not because there's consequence for sin. But David always was calling down vengeance on on his people, on his enemies. I really believe that God's purpose for us is just say, God, I forgive them. You do whatever you want to do, but I forgive them. And I've had a couple of people in my life that I've just said, God, forgive them. I've watched God do damage to at least one of them. I was not happy. You know, I did not take joy in the punishment that that person got because I had forgiven the person. I literally had forgiven the person. and didn't want to see them. I wasn't looking to see them punished. I was hoping God would give them grace, mostly because I like to get grace when I do wrong. So I really have learned over the years I want to forgive people. I want God's grace to fall on them because I want his grace. And because he gives me grace, I don't want to give anything less than grace to people. And this is something that is very critical. Saul does not do this. The consequence of all this and Saul's embarrassment is that, John, that Saul went up from following the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. He just went home. God didn't give him permission to go chase him. His rash vow caused him a problem. The defense of the people on Jonathan... Okay well this is it. We're done. The battle's over. At least he was smart enough not to go after the Philistines after all this happened because God did not say go. Right? God gave him a victory and God would have been not given him the victory if he had gone forward. So it's very critical that we keep in touch with God. Verse 47. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side against Moab and against the children of Ammon and against Edom and against the king of Zoban and against the Philistines and whithersoever he turned himself he vexed them and he gathered a host and smote the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of the Amalekites and spoiled them. Alright so after this Saul gets very victorious but you know one thing that's kind of interesting here he fought his enemies on all sides. Now you map these places out. Moab and the Ammonites are on the on the east. The Philistines are on the on the west. The uh, Zoban are I don't remember where they are, but they're you know he's circled by enemies and he's having a fight all the time. Now he it says that he's vexing them. He's winning he's winning battles. God is blessing Saul in battle. He seems to be very good general, very good king for the most part. Uh, after Jonathan's victory with the people, they got a little bit of confidence in the people and it, it seems that confidence paid off and he starts to win some wars. He takes control. And he starts beating Moab, Ammon, Edom, uh, the Philistines. He never completely delivers them from them, but he he says he vexes them. He, he makes life miserable for them. He, did, you know, he was valiant with them. Uh, he won the battles, and they didn't want to go around him. And then then it kind of just adds on here, after all those, he also beats the Amalekites. All right? Now, he's going to face the Amalekites again later on, and that's where he loses his kingdom, when he disobeys God's word, when it's time to face the Amalekites. And we'll look a little bit when we get there that his failure to just totally destroy the Amalekites caused problems many, 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 many generations later. Okay? Uh, not wiping out all the Amalekites is going to cause lots of problems. When we get to that story, we'll, we'll cover that. Verse 49. Now these are the sons of Saul. Well, the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishuai, and Melchishua. And the names of his two daughters were these: the name of the firstborn was Merab, and the name of the younger was Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Abanoma, the daughter of Amhiazah. And the name of the captain of his host was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. And Kish was was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son, was the son of Ab- Abiel. And there was sore war against Philistine all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto him. All right, we get a little bit of history here, family history. This is one of the shortest genealogies you're going to find in the Bible. Uh, Saul's sons, Jonathan, Ishuai, and Melchushu. The only one we ever hear a lot about is Jonathan. The other ones don't seem to be very important in, in Saul's life. Well, Jonathan's a big character. He's also the Crown prince, so we hear a lot more. He's the oldest, he's the one that's going to do. He's the one that's uh, going to be around. He's supposed to be the next king. And he's a valiant warrior and a man of God, he's godly. Uh, now interestingly here, Saul's daughters are named. Now this is not something that happens very often. Just getting a name of a woman in, involved in, the, in any of these stories is a big deal. And we get the names Mirab and Michael. Now, Mirab is going to be promised to David to be his wife, and Saul's not going to give her to her. Uh, ends up giving her Michael, who likes him, and Michael is pretty much rejected by David, and has and got a streak of pride like her father does. <laughs> and we're going to see all kinds of problems there. Uh, so both these daughters are named, and very interesting, it names his wife, Anam. She's the daughter of Ahimazel, and the captain of the host was Abner. Now, Abner is the general for Saul. All right? And Saul, uh, Abner is the son of Saul's uncle. He's the son of the uncle which makes him a cousin, if I correctly. Okay. (laughs) So Abner is a cousin to Saul. And he is the one that is going to run his army. And Abner is going to be the general for Saul his entire life. He is going to later become David's general after a whole lot of Political playing going on in the days, which is going to cause problems. But Abner is a political foe for Saul and for David later on. He's going to be, be, a, be a foe. Matter of fact, he is such a man that he made promises to Ab. David makes certain promises to Abner, but he instructs Solomon to execute him. Yeah. All right? He goes, basically, he goes, he's done enough wrong, Sam, Samuel, kill him. <laughs> or Solomon, kill him. You do not want him around, basically. He is going to be nothing but trouble for you if you keep him around. He goes, he's done plenty. You'll find plenty of things to do <laughs> to execute him for. And you take your throne, execute him. And Saul gave, uh, David gives Solomon a number of people he used to execute <laughs> that David had protected and made promises to and alliances with but his son wasn't to be bound by those alliances and said, do, do what I should have done, <laughs> get rid of them. And uh, then it goes in that Kish was the father of Saul, which we already knew, and Nair was the father of Abner, which was the son of Ab- Ab- Abiel, okay, and Abiel's going to be somebody who's going to be a character we're going to want to know later on, and that's Abner's son. And there was a sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul, and when Saul saw a strong man or any valiant man, he took him unto himself. All right? So Saul is going to be constantly at battle with the Philistines. He seems to be able to get rid of, take care of most of these other nations, but the Philistines, he just can't seem to totally subject. And just as Samuel said to the people that the king will take the best of your people Anytime, because Saul was busy being a general, being at war, anytime he saw somebody who was strong or, or showed any kind of uh, mighty activities, he took him into the army. All right, Saul is building a standing army, which has been very unusual even in this day and age. They did not have standing armies that, that often, but Saul was building an army. Usually what would happen is, especially before this, when the king was ready to go to war, he had, you know, a uh, hundred or so men that were his bodyguard, maybe two or three hundred. When it was time to go to war, they just called all the all the citizens up and said, "Okay, you're you're leaving your farms, you're leaving your businesses, get yourselves armed. We're going to war." Saul was building an army. Okay, why? Because he's at battle all the time. <laughs> he can't afford not to have an army, so he builds an army. And every time he sees anybody with any gumption that's, that seems to be a brave man or, or a strong man, he says, okay, you're now in the army. Don't care what you were doing, you're now in the army. Uh, kind of like uh, many of the draft boards and, and and press gangs of many of the countries. In in England in the 1400s to even as late as the 171800s, 1800s, you did not as a man go anywhere near the harbor when the, when the ships were in, were in bay because if they needed if they needed sailor, sailors, all they did is go and grab the first uh, you needed six, uh, six sailors, you grabbed the first six men you found. didn't matter who they were what they were doing, you grabbed the six first six you found. If you needed a dozen you grabbed the first dozen. and once you got them on the ship, that was it they were they were a sailor the rest of their life. Yeah, you, you you'd been the the owner of a very rich business. <laughs> now you're a sailor. <laughs> uh, you know, called Shanghai later on in in the in the San Francisco area, and called press gangs in the in England and France. Matter of fact, when you conquered the other ships, you you would take their sailors and make them your sailors if they if they showed any aptitude. If or you know or if not, you would send them to, to prison for the rest of the war. But you know. Here we have this thing that, that Saul, <laughs> hey, you look like a soldier, you're now a soldier. <laughs> uh, and he'd already been warned that. He was going to take the strongest man, he was going to take the best land, he was going to take the, you know, and I'm sure even though it didn't mention it, if you found a good cook, okay, you know, are <laughs> you're, 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 now, you're now working for the palace or you're now working for the army or whatever it might be. Oh, you're, you're a good seamstress, you're an excellent seamstress, we, the soldiers need, soldiers need their uniforms fest, you know, fixed. You're, you're, you've now been pressed into the army. This is Saul's life. And it's going to be his life for the rest of his time is fighting. And he's going to be known as a a warrior pretty much. That's, That's all he did for his entire career. Fight. All right. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we also come to the recognition that Sin always has consequences. Whether we understand it to be sin or not, it has consequences. And we ask you to keep us always in a position where we ask for forgiveness. Lord, help us to learn to love others that fail because we all fail. And learn to forgive. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.